Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and Happily Divorced Mom, who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I gotta tell you, I was just looking at the stats for this podcast, which I rarely do because I don't do this for stats or notoriety even. I'm just running a business here, but because I'm running a business and stats are important, I just looked at the downloads of this podcast and I am just blown away. In just over a year, I've had over 65,000 unique downloads, and we've hit almost 10,000 unique downloads for the month of April alone. Now, like I said, I'm not much of a stats watcher, but this tells me something. It tells me that there are a lot of you out there who want to do this work, who want to have different kinds of relationships, whether that's your marriage or divorce. There are a lot of you who are committed to making change in your life and to doing the work to heal from your past and create a rich and vibrant future for yourselves and your children. And I can't tell you how much that moves me. I know it sounds totally cheesy, but it is 100% fact that I do not do this for me. I do this for you. And so just knowing that you listen and you show up and you learn is literally the greatest Mother's Day present I could ever have wished for. So thank you, truly, from the bottom of my heart. And I hope that you all had a fantastic Mother's Day, that you were able to treat yourselves and care for yourselves in the way that you so clearly deserve. Just one major announcement today before we get into today's episode, and that is that my group program, Should I Stay or Should I Go, that up until now I've only run live, is now available as a self-study program that you can buy at any time. Now, like I said, I run this program like live twice a year in the spring and in the fall, but I understand that if you're struggling with this question, should I stay or should I go, you need help and you need it now. And you don't want to wait until September or next March to do this work to figure out the answer to this question. That would be like going to a doctor with a migraine and her telling you that she had the perfect medicine for you, but you'd have to wait six or eight months to be able to take it. What the hell? No. So that's why I've decided to open this program to open enrollment, which means that you can join right now. You can go through the content at your own pace. You can get the medicine that you need when you need it. So if you have been looking for a burning bush, as I did for so many years, if you have been praying for signs from God, spirit guides, animal guides, chemtrails, whatever, then should I stay or should I go was literally made for you. And now you can do it starting today. And also I've made it super affordable. So the link to check out all the details is also in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. 
Okay, so on to today's episode. Today I have with me Laura Wasser, who is a family law attorney, an author, an entrepreneur, and a family law expert. She is the founder of the online divorce platform It's Over Easy, which I am proud to announce that I am partnering with. It's Over Easy is the only online divorce solution that guides you through every aspect of your divorce, saving you tons of money and time in the process. So you can file and manage your uncontested divorce at any time and from anywhere using this platform. And super exciting news, since recording this episode, I've gotten word from Laura's team that as of July, It's Over Easy will be available nationally, which is a huge deal. Without further ado, here is my really fascinating conversation with Laura Wasser. Hi, Laura. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. I'm thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to tell my my people and uh, my audience who you are, what you do, and how amazing you are. <laughs> I'm Laura Wasser, and I am a family law attorney. I've been practicing family law here in Southern California for about 25 years now, and um, I'm also a mom. I have two little boys. One's not as little anymore. He's almost 14, and I'm not with either of their dads. I wasn't married to either of their dads, but we did have romantic relationships, lived together, and now we all co-parent in what I feel, and I think they would agree, is a really healthy way. We have amazing, uh, well-adjusted kids, and so my message after you know practicing for this period of time and knowing both professionally and personally that this can work is when we we formed a company last year called it's over easy which is online divorce and it's kind of got three parts to it one has to do with education one has to do with actually form completion and getting through the process of the divorce on your own and then the other is uh, it's called the index which is a directory of providers both in professional and lifestyle because I know you need more than just the divorce when you're getting divorced. So um, that's what I do. I, I, I practice family law and I help people get divorced online in a more amicable and cost-effective way. And it's, it's so much more cost-effective. It's, it's amazing. We found that the average divorce in the United States is about $25,000 and our very highest price point is $2,500. And that's, that's the like full, all the bells and whistles, the lowest price point, 750. So it definitely is cost-effective. Yeah. And now currently it's over easy. Just want to be really clear about this, that currently it's over easy is only available in California and New York, California, New York, and Nevada. Okay. And we will be rolling out into at least another eight states, but possibly all 50 states for sure by the end of this year. I'm trying to make it happen as quickly as I can in terms of our tech and our rollout. So because we've been around long enough now, clearly the educational part of the site is available to anybody. It's free. Come on. Read blogs, read what people have contributed and written about their own experiences, about what they do for a living if they're professionals in in finance and childcare and mental health therapy. And the same with the index, although some of our companies um, and professionals are nationwide Many of them are based, you know, by the venue, which is California, New York, or Nevada right now. But like I said, we're working on curating the best people, everything from, you know, somebody to help you with your budget or find a new apartment or sell your engagement ring or get insurance 
or find the best <laughs> app for you or get a great spray tan because you're actually going on a date. So all because of those things are available. It's one-stop yeah. shopping for yeah, divorce. Your it's full divorce brilliant. resource. <laughs> it is brilliant. Uh, absolutely. It's totally brilliant. And so so while it's – but I, and I love the – I'm like, yes, get it out there as soon as possible because – it can be so expensive. And the thing that always baffles me, right, is that because every state in the union now is a no-fault state, right, how do these, how do these price tags rack up? One of the ones in, in, in one of your blog posts, you talk about a $40 million divorce. Yeah. How, what are people fighting about that is costing $40 million? That one was custody. It was ridiculous. I mean, apps, we all love our kids. We want to make sure they're okay. Um, just because you have that much money certainly doesn't mean you want to or should be spending it. And some of the more complex and difficult divorces that we deal with at my firm have to do with, you know, streams of income, entertainment, you know, industry rights from royalties or when something was written, whatever. But even that is something that could be mediated and resolved really. And so it, it's a mindset and it has to start yeah. with the parties, with the couple. And also I believe that family law practitioners need to really make it clear to their clients, the more conflict there is, the more you pay. So if there's a way that you can resolve some of these issues, you should do it. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of family law practitioners are in it for that. To win it. <laughs> They're in it to win it. They're in yes. it to bring your bank account. Um, my, my, um, I did collaborative divorce and my collaborative attorney was on a panel. I've told the story before on the podcast, but it's always worth telling again that my collaborative attorney was on a, on a panel with litigators and mediators and other collaborative attorneys. And at one point he turned to the litigators on the panel and said, how do you know when to stop litigating? Right. And the litigator said, when the money runs out. Yeah. And literally they will just come at soon, as soon as they're not getting paid, they'll come up with a solution that could have been you know, could have, it probably was on the table $40 yeah. million dollars ago. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, absolutely. That's one of the reasons that I decided to start It's Over Easy, why I decided to write my first book. Um, it doesn't have to be that way because I had been practicing. I'm, I was at the time younger than most of my colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. Now I've been doing this for a long time. So I'm actually older. Now we're old. <laughs> but, but at the time I was in a very heated mediation dealt with child custody. And I thought, I really thought we were almost there. Both parties were in the room. The retired judge that was our neutral was really making headway. We had really, really closed the gap. And then I saw opposing counsel just like really throw a wrench in it. And I mm -hmm. said, can I talk to you for a second? And we went outside and I said, what are you doing? Like we were almost there. Like what? what? And she said, I haven't used up my retainer yet. Like, yeah. And I thought, oh, oh wow. Like my. one thing when you're a divorce yep. lawyer, you learn, you, you really can, you have to check your judgment at the door. You can't judge clients. You can't judge people. Everyone has different ways of dealing with, with grief. But this, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is a colleague. She does what I do. How is this, you know, and I spent a lot of time doing pro bono work with some of the nonprofits. Everybody's, you know, fear is the same. Everybody's grief, you know, it's, it's relative, yes. but they're having those same feelings. And to say, I have used it my retainer. I was like, oh my God. So 
Yeah. What would you say is the number one difference between people who can do this amicably, who can sit down and use It's Over Easy, which is a brilliantly genius tool, um, versus those who literally can't? I, I think one big piece of it is time. I, I, so many of my clients who I have said, can we mediate this? You know, can we get in a room? And in the first couple of months, it's really, they're not able to do it. They can't be reasonable. They can't treat it like a business transaction. They can't get to that point. Whereas six months, 12 months later, they say, I'm so ready. Maybe they're sick of me. I don't know, but it could just be, (laughs) but they're so ready to be done and move on. So time is part of it. Acceptance is part of it. I mean, look, there's always going to be assholes out there that just don't want to settle. That they say, I would rather pay you than pay him. You know, I get that. But for the most part, I think that also people need to be aware. I think for many, many years, people didn't know that they could do this themselves. And so if you provide them with the tools and the education and the understanding, and you also give them an out, like, you know, collaborative divorce has a lot of different people with its over easy. If you're working through the process and you hit a wall, we just can't agree on who's going to have Wednesday nights, or you can't agree on the amount of spousal support, pause. We, you can go to the index. You can find a really good mediator in your area. Spend a few hours with that person. See if you can resolve that issue with the assistance of a person that's there. Come back to the app, fill in the rest of it, and finish. I mean, it's it just it, you have to think outside of the box. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. And I love what you say about time because I often advocate for you know there are other countries like Brazil and uh, in the UK where you're not allowed to file for divorce for two years after you filed for separation and it gives that cooling off period in California, we have a six month cooling off period, but it's, I want to, I want to come back to that. I feel there's something about that, that I don't, it's, but you have to file and then it's not final for six months. Right. Right. So you're actually having to make the decisions. I mean, I always say this, that you're making the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life in the midst of the biggest emotional upheaval of your life. And it's a shitty combination. Agreed. So that time is so important. Like you don't have to do this quickly. It doesn't have to happen today. And sometimes we want it to, from an emotional standpoint, we're like, get it off, get it off, get him away, like cut the ties. I need closure. And you can actually do that without figuring out all the financial stuff. I would say take some time, separate if you need to. That's what this looks like. Let's figure it out. But the emotional decision-making is often not the best idea. It is, it's often a terrible idea. And the, and the, the people that get the most affected and, and suffer the most in it are kids. Yeah. Right. I mean, I always say, I don't, I really don't care how you do your divorce. If you don't have kids, like you want to blow $40 million up to you, go for it. But, you know, or even 20,000 or whatever, because often people are spending their entire life savings, their kids, you know, college college funds on, on decisions that can really be made amicably. Like we really yes. could figure this out together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The time, I think that time thing is so, uh, is so important. And I wanted to ask you about that California cooling off thing. Cause in, in what, I don't understand it. Like in what world is that cooling off? <laughs> like it's just six months before it is final, right? It's it, but it's not, they're calling it cooling off. I don't know. I'm confused. I, I think it started at a time when, 
it made sense. I don't think it necessarily makes sense anymore for different mm-hmm. reasons. By the way, you'd be far pressed, hard pressed to get a divorce processed in six months in California anyway. Like even if you were done, right. even if you finished oh. everything in the first month, it's still going to be sitting down in the courthouse waiting. So I think the six months, at least for in terms of what we do at the firm, usually isn't an issue because usually people are kind of like, it takes six, about six months anyway. Calling it a cooling off period is kind of a misnomer. You know, in other states, for example, in New York, you can be divorced 30 days after you've signed the divorce judgment. So it's much less, it's left much more up to the couple to figure out how their timing is going to work. The cooling off period doesn't make much sense, but it's usually not much of an issue, even in cases where we're done, signed, sealed, delivered, sent down to Los Angeles Superior Court, but they still have to wait the six months you know, it doesn't usually make a big difference. But remember, most of these laws were written and and legislated back in the days when, I mean, the reason we have community property in the state of California and many more of the Western states is because people were coming through the United States in covered wagons. (laughs) Wives were like, "Uh, excuse me, this is all part mine. I was there with you panning for gold and I was there for you, like finding the place where we put our flag and got the land deal. This is half mine. Whereas the old money of New England, et cetera, that generally was passed down. That's why equitable distribution makes sense. To rewrite and rework all of the laws regarding you know, family law in the U.S. would be huge. I actually thought to myself before I wrote the book in 2013, do I go legislative or do I go, you know, educational? Do I try to get the message out to people that we could be doing this better? And that is something that was just better suited for me. I speak right. at a lot of women's events. I speak at a lot of, you know, law schools about how to approach it better. They say the law is the last thing to change. That's likely true. But there are so many of our laws and family law that just do not make any sense anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge advocate against a lot of that. And I, and I don't, I don't, it is one of those things where I, again, like I'm not a lawyer, so I really wouldn't even know where to start. But when I hear about them, I'm like, that makes no sense. I mean, how do, how would one actively begin to fight against those sorts of things? You have to, you have to write, you know, bills. I mean, you have to write laws. We've had a few in California recently, like in 2015, they changed the law regarding um, data separation before it was kind of loosey goosey. Then 2015, it was okay. When you move out, that's the data separation. And then they actually changed it back and said, no, there's too many other factors that go into it. Sometimes people move into a different space or sometimes they can't move for financial reasons, but they're still separated. So that's not a good one. You, I mean, sometimes it's on a grander scale, like the tax laws that changed at the beginning of 2019 for my entire practice and, and beyond, I think 75 years alimony or spousal support was deductible by the payor and the person that received it would pay taxes on it as though it were income to them, that's changed. Now, again, it might simplify it in the long run, but it did affect many of our settlements because if you have clients that are in different tax brackets, the recipient of support really could benefit from getting extra if his or her ex was also getting a tax deduction for paying the support. So we have to factor that into our settlements. So yeah, to go about it, you really have to have somebody that's either writing laws, writing legislation. Like I said, that to me was really frustrating. We have some people on our executive committee at the Los Angeles um, Family Law at the Los Angeles Bar Association, Family Law Section, and Beverly Hills Bar Association, they have been kind of working on it. For me, I wanted to start with like people. I wanted to get the message out to people Mm -hmm. that even with these laws and within the confines of them, it's not the most complicated body of law. Um, 
you can do it better than people are doing it. And you just have to get a little bit enlightened. Yes. And you really have to like address your own shit, Mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, I, you know, in my work, I talk about all the time that resentment and blame are the things that are going to take this down right? a, a path that it doesn't have to go. But yeah, if you get to the point in your relationship where your communication has broken down to, to you getting divorced, you better figure out a better way of communicating during and post-divorce, especially if you have kids. So it might not have worked out for a marriage. I mean, for me, in my two significant relationships, we couldn't, you know, there were things that changed within the relationship that made it impossible for us to stay together. However, we now communicate and have more respect and civility, you know, and co-parenting with each other than we did before. So it's good, but you better figure out a way to get that. Yes, absolutely. My marriage was unworkable, untenable. It was volatile. It was awful but we were in couples therapy. We were in group couples therapy. We were in individual therapy. We were in 12 step programs. We were doing all sorts of personal development work and it didn't work to save our marriage, but it did work to uh, make our divorce the best thing it could possibly be. Cause at that point we had built, you know, huge levels of emotional intelligence. We had communication skills. We had all sorts of shit um, that we were like, all right, well, let's just throw all of that at this. And it worked for that. It worked for our divorce. And, you know, my ex and I have, you know, I, I it's, it's funny because one of, one of the things that I, that I talk about a lot in my work is that there's that nothing is black and white in this right. process, right? There's such an incredible, so many areas of gray and shades of gray. And my, um, you know, my ex and I had a horrible marriage and I will talk openly about um, how bad it was. Um, but we're also the greatest of co-parents and the greatest of friends now. And that's just, you know, that's part of, that's life, right? That's, that's life of being a grown up, being in middle age, <laughs> like shit just isn't black and white anymore. And being a parent and being and able to explain that to your kids and let, and having an example for them to see this happened and I'm better for it. And here we are. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I thank you for bringing that up too, because it is, it is right. It's, I get to the example that we get to set for our kids is that you have to work through that. You know, when you get divorced and you don't have kids, you, you know, there's a, there's a severing and a separating and you don't ever have to communicate with each other ever again. When you have kids, you have to spend the rest of your life in communication with this person. And you literally have a choice as to how that's going to go. Right. Um, and if you want to choose for it to be awful for the rest of your life, the people that are going to suffer because of that are your kids. Yes. Um, and if you, you know, want to choose the other way, you actually have to work harder. You have to work so much harder to overcome your resentment, your anger, your bitterness, your pain, your grief, and your right. loss, right? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Tell me about your first book. So the first book is called, It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Bankrupting Yourself or Destroying Your Family. And um, the second one I'm working on now, I think is going to be called, you know, It's Over Easy, A Divorce Course. I feel like so many people come to my office, come to the site, they want information. Heretofore, there was kind of a dearth of information online. Now we're seeing much more. In 2013, when I wrote the book, you could barely find anything. People just didn't want to talk about it. And the fact is, Kate, if you're not going through a divorce, there's no reason for you to know any of this stuff. I mean, by the way, 
tons of people get married and they don't even know what the law is in their state if they were going to get divorced. I mean, you. this is why I'm such a big proponent of prenuptial agreements, or at least the conversations that you would have if you were getting a prenup. Even if you decide not to have one, you, you, you pay for your caterer and you pay for your dress and you pay for your florist and you pay for your string quartet or your DJ or your band and you sign contracts with all of these vendors and yet you're entering into the most significant contract when you walk down the aisle and most of the people don't even know what the terms of the contract are, which I find fascinating. So again, endlessly fascinating knowing (laughs) what it is. And, and so many people were saying to me both in 2013 and then now, if only I knew then what I knew now at the end of my divorce, again, that timing thing comes in. So this book and, and the one I'm writing now really, you know, are about getting messages out there, telling anecdotes of nightmare stories that I've seen as a family law practitioner, talking about how to do it better, talking about new devices. I mean, not only it's over easy, but apps that have co-parenting portals and bank reconciliations and ways to do things that will make it easier. We have you know, ways to go online and be able to do meditation once or twice a day. All of these things that can help us in our lives. Parenting apps, you know, for somebody to come and help you or hop, skip, drive, the driving one, if you can't drive your kid. There, we, are, we are so lucky to have so many things that can help us out as a single parent, as a divorcing parent, that I want people to know about them. I want them to be able to tap into them. I want to connect communities because as you know, as a mom, it takes a village. So where's my village? Who are my people that I can talk to about this at different stages? through it. So that's why I wrote the book in 2013. And it's fascinating to me how the difference between 2013 and even, you know, five years later, last year in 2018, when we launched It's Over Easy, how much more willing people were to have me on talk shows or magazines. People are like, okay, wait, this is happening. We got to talk about this. This is happening. We're in 2013. They were like, you know, we really try to stay away from divorce. I think people are finally accepting the fact that if 50% of the people that are getting married in the United States are getting divorced, there is an audience that is hungry for information of how to do this better. And and so many of us were raised in families where our parents got divorced and our parents handled it the same exact way that their parents before them. I don't want to see another generation where that happens. There has to be a better way of doing this. I want people to be able to approach it. And we call it the evolution of dissolution, which is how to approach this and change it in a way that's going to be better for our, our society. Uh, amen. Amen, sister. <laughs> So in 2009, when I got divorced, the only things that you ever saw splashed across tabloids were these horrible, nasty, bitter celebrity divorces, right? And um, it wasn't, you know, because I got divorced before. I think that that Gwyneth, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin really sort of disrupted that first. They were 2014. They, they were, were 2000, right yes. after the book came out and mm-hmm. this conscious uncoupling. Then you had... Um, Jennifer Aniston and her husband talked about, I think it was gently separating. You have all of these. I had Kate Hudson on my podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about co-parenting. Anna Ferris yesterday, we had her on the podcast that'll come out in two weeks talking about new beginnings. We do, for better or worse, as a culture, take our you know, take our signals from celebrities. So when you see celebrities slinging mud and having these terrible divorces versus saying, you know, and sometimes it is fake it till you make it, but still I love him. She's Uh wonderful. We're good parents. It's Uh good for your kids. It's good for you. And ultimately you start feeling that way. It trickles down to the rest of the people that are reading those tabloids and going, oh, well they can do it. I want to be like that. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And before we had these kinds of things, before we had these other models, right? When I was getting divorced, people were trying to make it nasty because that's all they knew. Right. Right. We were, we were doing it collaboratively and, and doing sort of the best job we could do. And other people were like, oh, watch it. You know, she's going to, you know, my, my, my father-in-law said to my, to my ex, like, she's going to take you for all you're worth. And he was like, what? I'm not worth anything. Like, well, I mean, <laughs> oh, what? well, I mean, not, not like huge, but I mean, you know, I was a stay at home mom. We had a very comfortable life. He, you know, he makes good money, but like still my, but my ex was like, have you met her? Like she was Wait. not about to do that. That's but not- that's, that's the culture that, that he, that the father-in-law grew up with, that this 100%. is this Kramer versus Kramer. Exactly. It's obviously going to be, this is a transition. I'm look, nobody walks down the aisle thinking, Oh, I wonder when I'll be getting divorced. But at the same time, it's a transition. It happens. And if it does, we can do it better and not like immediately switch into that place of, Oh God, she's evil. She's going to take you for everything you're worth. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think that as a society, we have got to, and and I think we are shifting into this, right. To be better at uh, supporting that, right. Better at support. How can we support you to do this? Well, how can we support you to be as collaborative and like, what do we need to do? What kind of, what, what part of the village do I need to embody so that we can carry you through this? Absolutely. Yes. you know, what the village is about, right? The system carries the entire process. So when, when you can't. Are you finding that your clients are coming to you well, kind of poised to be able to take that step? Sometimes, sometimes not. I mean, I will tell you, and I don't, I'm not sure if this is just what I'm attracting or what is mostly out there, but I mostly um, work with women who desperately want that kind of, um, collaborative process for their children. Um, and men, most times their husbands are, uh, combative and angry, um, and don't, uh, and are trying to make it hard. Wow. Yeah. Isn't, very- I mean, that, that's, that's terrible. I mean, I represent probably an equal number of men and women, possibly there is possibly more men. And most of the men are like, how do we approach this as a business transaction so that I am able to figure out a way to A, spend less money on attorneys, B, pay more money to my ex if that's what she needs, and and C, move this along. Usually it's the men, or I should say the payor spouse. Usually it's the business person. And often, and way more often than ever before, I'm having women come in being the breadwinner saying, listen, this is, you know, this is what I need to do. And they are often very shocked to hear that they will have to be paying spousal support, child support, splitting everything. They're like, what do you mean? Get <laughs> I thought- around my neck for five years, get him off. And I'm like, I'll get him off. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right. Yeah. It's like, we fought for this, right? <laughs> we yes. fought for this, right? Like this is kind of what comes with the territory. Um, it's interesting. And I do think that there is a cultural distinction because a lot of the women, um, well, you know, some of these women are in New York, which is interesting. Um, but I do think that in California it's, you know, but in the, uh, you know, because I'm a coach, I work with women all over the country. Um, I'm not location specific. So I have a lot of women coming to me from, from sort of, you know, the Bible belt and, you know, in sort of, you know, the middle of the country where, um, you know, sometimes I suppose the, the ideals are a little more old fashioned in that way and they're feeling, you know, and, and because women, I think 
collectively are sort of rising up right now. Um, I do think that there are a lot of men who are surprised and pissed off. <laughs> right, right. And kind <laughs> and of feeling backed into a corner. Yeah, yeah. What's your, what, it, what would you say is your median age of a client? Um, I would say mid to late 30s. Okay. And are you yeah. finding some of the, the women that you said like middle of the country Bible belt, are those folks getting married earlier? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what we did, right? Um, I mean, I was late, you know, I got married at 32. <laughs> right. Well, I got married at 25, but that was like two seconds. So it didn't really count and I didn't have any kids. So, but that was the starter marriage, but that was extremely young before any of my friends. I mean, yeah. you know, yes, definitely on the two coasts, we are seeing people waiting longer and that frankly does, um, enhance the chances that the marriage will last longer because you've actually become who you're going to be in most cases yep. a little bit more if you're in your thirties or forties than when you're in your twenties, frankly. And you have more time to do personal development work and know mm -hmm. who you are, right. And really dig into what matters to you. What are your values? What are your core belief systems that, that have you asked the, the, the questions that you were talking about in, in a prenup situation? It's, you know, not just the legal aspect of it, um, I have a friend who a couple of years ago got married a couple of years ago and she went through um, some premarital counseling and I asked her about it. I was like, so tell me like, I want all the details about what they're, what they're asking you, what you're talking mm -hmm. about. And I, I was shocked. I mean, they talked about everything, right? No, as that no one ever asks before about what religion or are your kids going to go to public or private or what about my parents when they're older are you okay with them coming to stay with us or are you going to say that they should go to assisted living how much should we be saving every year for our retirement yeah are comfortable going, you know, on one big family vacation, but being able to take, you know, what are we spending on meals? What are we saving? What are we giving to charity? All of these things. How are people not discussing these things? Because nobody tells us we should, right? It's just, it's happily ever after because, right? right because the love story ends when Prince Charming swoops in on the horse and, you know, gives us a kiss and wakes right. us up or whatever it is, right? And then yeah. you ride into happily into the sunset. But right. what happens after? And exactly. nobody, wants, nobody wants to talk about that. That's not romantic. No, it that's isn't. Like, you know, <laughs> <ooh>. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah, I love the idea of like premarital count counseling. I think it's super important. And I think some of the people that I see and who my draft prenuptial agreements for are actually getting that counseling. It would be great if they weren't paying an attorney our hourly rate to be those counselors, if they actually had somebody that was a trained mental health professional that could go through those scenarios with them, particularly if it's stuff that you can't put in a prenup. But it's still so healthy to have yeah. those conversations. And again, it's so much about the expectations in any relationship and being able to check in because absolutely within the next five or six years of your relationship, things will change. You'll either have children, somebody will stop working, somebody will have gotten a new job, somebody's parents will have gotten older. These are things that you check in again and you continue having these conversations. And I also say to people all the time, you should be doing some kind of counseling or therapy when things are good. Yes. So have the the language and the tools so that you can apply them when things are not good. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's really, um, you know, I have a client who said, you know, if I had put this much thought and energy into uh, getting married as I'm putting into figuring out whether I should leave, I probably wouldn't have been in this marriage to begin with. Yeah. 
Yeah, but oh, it, they make it so easy and it's all supposed to be, there's this blush wash over all of it. And I think, look, there's nothing wrong with that. We should have as many happy times in our lives as possible. But do you remember the line from Parenthood where Keanu Reeves says, you know, you need a license to fish, you need a license to drive, you need a license to hunt, but any butt ream and asshole was the language that he used, can, mm-hmm. ha- can, be, a, can be a father. Yep. And that's true too. I mean, yes, you need a license to get married, but it sure isn't tough to get one. There's no test. There's no requirement. Right. right. They're not looking up. They're just making sure you're not already married. Really? (laughs) We're related. (laughs) Right. Right. And sometimes they even miss that. But in any event, yeah, it just, it's very, very easy to get married. It's not as easy to get divorced. You know, calling the company It's Over Easy was a way for people to remember what it's called and know that it certainly is a simpler process. But we know that that divorce is not easy. It's anything but easy. We're just trying to make the process a little bit simpler as to the financial and legal part of it. Yeah, I love it. I have a question about, about stay-at-home moms. Yes. I, I, I deal with this all the time, right? women who have been stay-at-home moms who have, you know, given up their careers, never had careers, their husbands are now saying, well, you know, you're never going to be able to support yourself. Don't, you can't leave because you're never going to be able to support yourself is a a huge one. Right. Um, And the legalities therein, right. We, and in California, it's, it's pretty cut and dry as far as I understand it from a legal perspective, the duration um, amount of, um, uh, of spousal support, um, well, amount not so much. Amount not, not so much, but the, that but has the a lot to do. That has a lot to do with lifestyle. Duration is generally going to be half the length of the marriage in marriages that are not perceived as long-term marriages. And long-term right. marriages are generally anything more than ten years. But there's no right. law about that. That's that's precedent. So you could have been married eleven years, but have like a brand new baby at home, and a judge would say, "I'm not going to make support last for five and a half years. You come back and see me in five years, and we'll see." But I'm going to keep jurisdiction. Or you could be married for nine years and the judge, I mean, sorry, you could be married for that long and and the judge would say longer. So it really, really depends on the circumstances and judicial officers really have a lot of um, ability to say what they think at any given time. And again, it's always, unless you agree that it's non-modifiable, it's modifiable. So you can go back if your income changes. Sometimes I have moms that were prior to divorce stay-at-home moms. They get back into the workplace or they're trying to and they say, is this going to affect my support? Because I don't want to be working my ass off and then have it dollar for dollar reducing my support. That doesn't make sense to me. So what do I do? And I generally say, take the job. Getting back in the workplace is going to be one of the best things. Even if you're paying almost as much for childcare as you're making, it's so good for you to be back in the workplace, to be experiencing that. If you can make that work, it should work because one day your kids are going to be in school all day long. And one day your kids are going to be out of school and gone. Those years, as you know, move so quick. So don't shut yourself out. And if you're negotiating a divorce judgment, make sure you have in there something that says your support won't be reduced dollar for dollar. It can be re-examined, it can be discussed, but you're not going to be penalized for getting a job and earning income. And your ex shouldn't want you to be penalized for, for earning income. No, I mean, and that's, and that is, that is such a huge thing, right? I mean, and I, and I, I get into, you know, the systemic, um, patriarchal aspects of, of how these, how these decisions and some of the laws keep us, um, subjugated, keep like, keep us tethered. Like we don't want to remain tethered 
to this system or this agreement pretty longer than we really have to, right? right. So I, I mean, I, I appreciate and love that you tell them, take the job, take the job because it's building so much more than just a paycheck. Yes. 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 And I wish that we had, again, speaking to the contracts that we enter into without actually looking at and entering into is this, this sort of prenuptial. Do you do, how do, how does that work with, right? Cause we don't talk about this, right? When we, this is, I get on my soapbox up here about, so when we decide to become stay at home moms, right? We do not, it, we feel like we're entering into a partnership, like it's a joint venture we are investing on the home front. They're investing on the work front. And ultimately this, you know, if, if the partnership went on forever, it would all be beautiful and magical. Often it doesn't. And when we get to the other side, we realize there's really very little or certainly a disproportionate return on our investment. Um, I found this when I got divorced, when I went to try and buy a house after uh, my divorce. And I had, you know, two and a half years. I was only married for five years. We were together for 10. I had two years of spousal support and I hadn't worked in five years. I'd been a stay-at-home mom. I was an actor for 30 years, but you know, that I wasn't, you know, I was on a TV show, but it was not, I was not, you know, bringing home the bacon. And I was not able to buy a house because I didn't have provable income. Right. And you know, and so, and I asked my husband, I said, would you co-sign? And he was like, no, I don't want to be financially tethered to you anymore. And I was like, and it, it was a couple of years later that I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> we entered into this agreement together. Yes. And the, you know, his life was unchanged, practically unchanged. And there's, I think there was uh, statistics that, um, men's, uh, what is it that men's, um, uh, life sort of improves their, their, uh, their lifestyle, their life, like improves by like 25% when they're in divorce and ours decreases by at least 10%. I've seen that too. And I, again, I'm, I'm not sure that I, I don't know where that came from. I have seen it. <laughs> Remember I, I, there's a lot of gray area, but for the most right. part, I'm representing people if they are the stay home, stay home spouse. And sometimes they're the, they're the guys. Yeah. They basically are getting, and remember, they're also not making casseroles, cleaning toilets. These people mostly have housekeepers, nannies, sometimes chefs. Yeah. So they're not really the ones that are, you know, the state, they may be a stay home mom or dad, but they're not a homemaker, so to speak. Right. And so their lives, and because of the money that's involved, their lifestyles usually don't change that much post-divorce. Mm -hmm. But again, it is it is relatively unfair. I say to women all the time, you want to get married, you want to be a homemaker. That's that's what you're opting for in this contract. Make sure that you still, I mean, I, I see women that are, you know, Mrs. Studio head, Mrs. Celebrity, they can go into any department store and have a personal shopper pull things for them, even have things sent to their home. They can go into any restaurant in town and immediately get one of the best tables. They have people that are calling them to sponsor, you know, nonprofit events, people that are calling them to come out and speak at things, you know, and be honored. And yet they have no idea what their family income is in any given year. They have no idea. They don't have yes. credit cards in their own names. They have their card that says their name, but it's hooked to their husband's account. Yep. It's okay if you decide to be the stay-home parent. Make sure, not because you're preparing for divorce. What if your spouse dies? Because you're preparing for life. It's not yes. only on one of you to go out. Maybe this is the person that's earning the income. You have to be prepared. You should be at those business management or accountant meetings every year before you sign your tax return. You yep. should know what's 
going on, you owe that to yourself and your children to participate in that way. And if your spouse doesn't want you to, that is a red flag. That is a problem. A hundred percent. Empower yourself with knowledge and information. Absolutely. Whatever you do. It is your own credit cards in your name. If you're pulling money from the community to pay them, fine. Establish credit. Make sure that you've got a line of a line of credit income so that no matter what happens, you are okay. And again, this is not divorce planning. This is life planning. Yeah. When your husband's out there working and, and drafting up agreements, you know, he, he, he's not planning for divorce. He's just living life. You do the okay. same thing. Yep. Absolutely. I, I know somebody who, um, I have a client whose husband, you know, when they were getting divorced uh, or just before they got divorced, she realized that she had, she had completely abdicated all responsibility for the entire, all the finances um, in the house, in the family. She had no idea what was going on with the finances because that was his job. He handled it. Right. Well, it turns out the way he was handling it was by spending $5,000 a month at the country club with his mistress yeah, and, you know, and, and traveling in hotel rooms and like all of this. And she had, of course, no idea because that was, and then when it came to divorce and she had been a stay at home mom and she'd given up a very successful career to raise children. And when it came time for divorce, there was nothing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I mean, horrible cautionary tale. Absolutely. Also keep in mind that from the perspective of her spouse, and again, I don't know him. He sounds like a dick, but whatever. Yeah, he is told us. He probably was going through life thinking, I'm the one that goes to work every day and earns a living. I'm the one that has to keep track of all the finances. I'm the one that has to worry about the mortgage getting paid, paid the bills. If you're a partnership and you're not the one that has to be in an office from nine to five or more each day, how about you say, why don't I take care of the bills? Why don't I make sure we've got the best mortgage and interest rate? Why don't I make sure we've got the best you know, roof over the house if it has to be redone? Usually if you're a stay-home parent or spouse, you're going to be in the house most of the day. You take charge of that stuff. That's yes. the best way of knowing what's going on. And as soon as you see that first $5,000 country club bill, or you see the first, you know, Hermes bag that's being purchased for someone that isn't you or lingerie, you're going to know something's up. Take some control because don't ever let anybody say or be resentful of you for being lazy and just getting a free ride. That's not what this is about. You want to be a partner, get in there. Yep, absolutely. And that goes the other way, right? I have another another friend who's a super successful, successful businesswoman her husband really stayed home and he took care of the finances. He did that. Yep. He was like, I got this. Well, he had <laughs> he had kind of fucked something up majorly years ago and hid it from her. And she was going off living life like there was no problem. And he was too afraid to tell her. And suddenly she finally, and she, and she, t- she took responsibility. She's like, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know about it. I didn't want to do the work to right. look at it because I thought it was being handled. In a, in a relationship, in a marriage, in a partnership, you are both equally responsible for everything that happens within that partnership, financially, legally, all of it. You go, should, but like you said, both of you be at the meetings with the business managers. Right. Both of you look at the at the tax returns. Both of you look at the statements. My husband and I, our business managers, they would send us that little blue bound, beautiful, you know, right. folder every month. We never looked at it. Nobody looks we at it. Right. Never opened it. <laughs> Again, and when those people say that to me, I say, it must be nice. I mean, I just like, I can't even imagine being that way. Yep, totally. It was, it was lovely. It was <laughs> stupid. Until it wasn't. <laughs> Fortunately, like, but you know, my husband, I think was cheating on me and I probably would have learned a few things at the time if I had looked. Right. You know? 
Maybe I was, maybe I was saved from that <laughs> at the time, but <laughs> anyway, um, you've listed some great resources that I want to make sure get in the show notes. Um, um, some of those, the co-parenting apps, like uh, Our Family Wizard and those things. Are Our Family Wizard is great. There's one called Co-Parenter that's great. Um, obviously, it's over easy. There's also Policy Genius, which is a great insurance company that you can reach out to if you need to make sure that you're getting insurance, you know, sorted out after divorce. Great. Is one of our partners if you want to sell your engagement ring online. Which one is that? Worthy. Worthy. Yeah. Great. Sell your engagement ring, have some money to put it's yours once it's you know awarded to you in the divorce. You have some money to put aside for a new project and down payment on a new car, apartment, startup company, or just a great spa day check them out because they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. All kinds of things that you maybe hadn't even thought of, like I said, including the dating apps in terms of the lifestyle apps, um, apps and companies. And um, you guys can look at me at um, Laura Wasser Official or It's Over Easy or Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I do a podcast myself, as you know, once a week called Divorce Sucks. We're on Apple and iTunes um, out of Podcast One. We have people come on and talk about their specialties, their professionals, their their experiences personally. And then every once in a while, we'll get a celebrity or two to come in and tell us about how they're doing or what their divorce was. It's really a lot of fun and I'm enjoying it because again, my whole thing is just like you said, Kate, getting the message out to people, showing them that this is not an isolated incident, that it is a community that you can be a part of while you're going through this and beyond because it's not always um, an ending. It's a new beginning and it's next chapters and we have to approach it that way. Otherwise, we really will be in the dark and that's not a good place to be when you're going through a change in life. Nope, not any change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laura, for being here, for sharing your expertise and um, all of your information will be linked in the show notes. And I look forward to future collaborations. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.